You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Chicago Bears season ends as they lose 9-21 in the Superdome to the New Orleans Saints. I bring on Brandon Robinson, one of my co-hosts on the Rule of Three podcast and defensive specialist, to talk through this game as we get set to head into the offseason. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And honestly, I'm probably a lot more upbeat than you are. After the Bears having just wrapped up a 9-21, to what felt like a beatdown, I was happy to be there, which is not something that a whole lot of Bears fans want to say. And we actually got a close game that lasted for much longer than just one half of football. This is going to sound wild, but given that the Bears season is over, it ended on a playoff appearance that actually had us looking like half of a playoff team for the majority of, the, of a football game and that's more than I can say for well in this case we're only just now getting into like the nitty-gritty of the Browns and Steelers game but man are the Browns pounding them so not a blowout by any stretch of the imagination though certainly not a convincing close loss uh, but either way the season's over which is never a good thing and I've brought along Brandon Robinson to help me digest the game Brandon how are you doing today I'm doing great how are you well, great is a weird one to talk about because the season's <laughs> over and that means it's time to see what happens as we head into this offseason. But it was a weird game to watch because for all as much as I've heard people talk about how the Nagy laser game plan has changed a lot, I saw the Bears try to do a lot of very similar stuff to what they've done. Maybe I'm seeing it wrong. They ran a lot of outside zone. The Saints just shut it down. They ran a lot of those play action levels based rollouts. The Saints shut those down too. Uh, and the Bears actually managed to scheme open a wide open Javon Wims in the end zone off of a really tricky little wildcat play that they've been building up to as we know that wildcat or like package has only been a run recently and Javon Wims let that thing slip right through his hands off of I will say it a gorgeous ball from Mitchell Trubisky that if he'd been throwing that his entire career his startership would literally have never been in question but either way it was it was funny because this Bears offense came out ready to scrap or at least it seemed that way came away with no points there real bummer it was it's a weird game to talk about because it was three to seven for what felt like an overwhelming majority of the game before the offense couldn't get anything going and I'm left feeling like this was a lot closer than I ever thought it would be am I the only one feeling that way no not at all I mean I I expected this game to be a blowout from start to finish I mean you consider that Vildor is starting Duke Shelley is starting and Manti Teo like you, you put that on any NFL defense and I mean, your expectations are really low. And then you factor in the fact that they're playing the saints with Michael Thomas back and Alvin Kamara. And I mean, they're going to put up points and it was exact opposite of that. The D 
defense played spectacularly in the first half and they held on as much as they could. But with with the offense and Darnell Moody being out, I mean, that's you're in another another tough spot because the Saints are they're they're a really good defensive matchup against the Bears because they they're just obsessed with playing man coverage, which usually bites them in the butt. But when they're playing against a team that loves RPOs, loves running outside zone because they can get numbers in the box. But now instead, because they play so much man coverage, now they can load the box because of that. Yeah, it was definitely not a very good matchup for the Bears offense. And I think we saw that in full form, but especially with your defense experience and the fact that if I could be really honest with you, Brandon, I want to start off this end of season podcast talking about the positive things. I was amazed. So I'm, I've become very Belichickian in attitude, which in case you don't know, Belichick's like overall philosophy is that you're, there's no danger quite like somebody on the field that you can't cover. If you can't cover the opposing best guy, you have to commit two people to him and there's just nothing you can do. And if I was going to tip my hat to anybody in this game, it would be Kyle Fuller because he took on Michael Thomas one-on-one for an overwhelming amount of that game and really only allowed one blown gasket and returned it with a nice third down convert third down stop around the mid second half i thought fuller did a great job against michael thomas and i could also go on and talk about the interior defensive line and how they squared up a very good saints offensive line and stuffed a running game that suffice to say minnesota could not do and overall like you said this defense it's big players needed to play in a game where the bears didn't have a whole lot of their defensive personnel and with roquan smith out i mean that might be one of their most important defensive personnels based on the Pagano scheme they came to play they played about as lights out as I think they could have against a very good team in the Saints I don't know what did you think I'm sure you saw more than I did yeah I, I thought the, I thought they played pretty well um, I expected them to stop the run decently just because while Roquan is a really really good player he's not the type of player that just scraps blocks and makes a bunch of tackles in that way. He's flying from sideline to sideline. So his, his value really isn't well. his value of him being out isn't really diminishing the run defense. So I thought they played pretty well there. Um, The dink and dunk of Drew Brees is just what, what kills you because the thing is you you have to play zone coverage against him because you got to cover the soft zones underneath. And when you, when you have so many backups playing in there, it's just really tough. And especially when they, when they get guys to hurt Sherrick McManus, he was out. And then I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. It's on, Houston uh, Carson. He left Houston in the middle Carson. Of the yeah. He's been, he's been playing so well in their dime packages, but and I, I thought I thought they were playing him over Deion Bush a decent amount, but then as soon as he went out, we saw Deion Bush in there a bunch. And I hate using the word lost when you're talking about football, but it just seemed like he was not prepared to play. Every single time he was in right before the snap, he's looking all around at everybody else to tell what he to find out what his assignments were. And you, you just you can't have that against Drew Brees. 
Absolutely not. I mean, it's the sort of thing where I can tell you that my specialty is not with defensive backs. There's so much going on there that for those of you who don't know, most of my understanding actually comes from bouncing things off of Brandon. All I can tell you is that the interior defensive line had to win against the run because if the Saints can run on you, they can really kill you. And credit to what the Bears were able to do, the interior defensive line with John Jenkins picking off a pass, Akeem Hicks, John Jenkins, Bilal Nichols, Brent Urban shutting down the Saints running game, at least enough that the Saints felt like they needed to pass the ball a little more they forced the saints to test their secondary and i'll even throw some credit to guys like duke shelley who rebounded from what seemed to be an atrocious game against the backers and put up a pretty spicy contest again does that mean he's the future starting nickelback or an all-star in the league probably not i mean i think that's a stretch after one game but i expected like you're talking about folks like emmanuel sanders to shine a little more and instead it's that fourth option the guy who returns their punts who i'm drawing a blake on his name that ended up getting the ball deontay harris who got the ball almost the entire game because they were trying to pick on shelly and he pulled him down behind the line to gain quite a lot in those settings what's crazy to me is like i've always seen deontay harris flash in so many games last year he was he was great in punt returning and i was always confused why the saints didn't use him more because he's so fast, he's so quick, he's so electric. He can he can threaten defensive backs in so many different ways, especially when you get in 11 personnel, 10 personnel situations to where he's one-on-one with a safety. And if you, if you don't know how, like safety's capabilities and man coverage, they, they do not match up very well against smaller guys because they're usually big, taller guys that can't really match up like that. And so when you put him on a guy like Eddie Jackson, I know I know every every's everybody's a little sour on Eddie Jackson right now, but Eddie Jackson is very very good man coverage for his safety, but that is still a really big mismatch and the Saints took advantage of that all game long. That's so interesting because I actually wouldn't mind spending a little time on Jackson. I think what we would agree with is that that offsides there that led to the second touchdown is never what you want with a safety jumping or jumping off on fourth and three. I mean, I get it. If it, I almost get it if it's an interior defensive lineman, even though they're probably a little more ready for the situation because they're on the line more often. But seeing your highly paid safety is never good in those moments. But one thing that I do think has been hard for Jackson this year that I'd love to get your take on. I know he's dropped his fair share of picks and I know everybody wants to see interceptions from safeties because for some reason we equate safeties with interceptions, even though that's not always true. It feels like Eddie Jackson's had an incredibly hard year from what I've watched that primarily comes from if he's covering his guy, he doesn't get thrown at at all. It's like a hard rule. Don't throw at him. But that means he gets his tackling tested a lot, which is not his uh, the highlight of his game. And he then starts to overplay assignments because he's hunting for that pick, just like all the fans are frustrated with it. You know, Eddie Jackson's frustrated with it. And from there, he's starting to pull himself out of position every once in a while because he thinks it's going to A and the quarterback reads him overplaying it goes to option B. Am I crazy in seeing this? No, not at all. It's actually kind of spot on. And that's that's what's so tough with a player like Eddie Jackson, because the kind of safety that I want, the kind of safety that I'm thinking about is always in the right position to where, to not make a play. It's to not make a play, to make somebody else make a play because you're in position. So the quarterback doesn't want to throw it. The guy I always think of when 
crazy enough, the guys that I always think of whenever I talk about this is Adrian Amos because he doesn't make a lot of plays on the ball, but he's not giving up big plays either because he's just in position to make the quarterback not throw the ball. And that's just what you want. You want the quarterback to check it down on third down. And so you can rally and then force a punt. You're like, because the thing is like you're, you're equating interceptions versus punts. I'll take my chances of a quarterback, just not throwing it deep and just doing a punt instead of just, getting an interception and it's still virtually a punt, just 20 yards versus 40 yards. And so I, yeah, I, I think Eddie Jackson, he's just, he, he's, he wants the all, all pros. He wants the pro bowls. He knows he can make plays. So instead of putting himself in the best position, the position he's supposed to be, he's pressing, he's putting himself out of position. He's trying to make other, other people's plays basically and I, I don't think that's the best move for the team or for him himself. To your point, I mean, when it comes to interceptions and defensive backs, the name that I always think of is actually quite the opposite. You you listed a good example in Adrian Amos. I always flip the coin over and look at a bad example in Marcus Cooper, which if you remember Bears fans, he was a corner for the Bears after a 2016 season with the Cardinals that saw him give up a ridiculous passer rating, but, but Brandon, he had five interceptions. And having five interceptions is a good thing. <laughs> but suddenly it dawned on me as we watched this guy kind of flail around and end up targeting an awful lot that if you get thrown at enough you may end up with the ball in your hands a couple of times like if you get targeted some 85 times in a season and you break on the ball well for four of them suddenly you're one of the leading defensive backs in interceptions despite maybe not being a very good defensive back and so it is interesting like you're talking about how our understanding of defensive backs can often be a little flawed and that we want to see those sexy takeaways but then you forget that to show Gibson who almost got Duke Shelley an interception was the guy who made the play and Duke Shelley was almost the one who recovered the credit for just being in the right place at the right time these interceptions are a lot harder to come away with and often as we saw in 2018 have more to do with exterior factors like pressuring the quarterback than they do just quote-unquote good coverage because good coverage means you don't get targeted right Mm -hmm. exactly And and it's funny because I was, I was looking at Duke Shelley during that play and I'm like, I was, because he's been covering so much grass lately. And by covering grass, I just mean that he's not in position to relate to the receiver or to the ball. He's basically in the middle of nowhere. And on that play, he was in the middle of nowhere. Tayshawn Gibson made a great pass breakup and it fell right into his hands. And I, to, to go to Gibson, I thought he had a tremendous game. I've been talking to Robert a lot about how Tayshawn has actually been the one covering a lot of grass too. And I thought about how that's been hurting the defense, but he did the exact opposite this game. I, I, I thought he was, he was in the right spots. He wasn't back put on too much. He was triggering on every single route in front of him. And he, he wasn't trying to do too much, but he was just, he was ma- he was making plays. So I, I thought that was just really encouraging for him. He's going to be hitting free agency and it'll be interesting to see what they do at coming off of that performance. 
It will be. And frankly, Brandon, hearing that Tashawn Gibson improved like that, it has me asking the question that I think a lot of Bears fans have written off Chuck Pagano as a casualty of this season. And I got to tell you, I had written Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, Chuck Pagano, everybody off as a as a lost in or in the midst of the six game losing streak. But perspective changes things. And I'll tell you what, and I am for those who can't see me, I'm like holding my face as I say this because I don't know how to feel but if this was Chuck Pagano's last stand it was pretty amazing because with Manti Teo, Kendall Vildor, and Duke Shelley the Bears held the Saints to just seven points for the first I want to say 40 minutes of football they had forced what could have been two turnovers instead was just one because of a bad bounce off the hands of Duke Shelley again against an extremely good and I think much more talented talented than they are Saints offense and when you talk about defensive coordinators taking their talent and turning it into something better than what it is this would be a classic example right up there with or with uh oh my goodness Brandon Staley's fabulous performance against the Seattle Seahawks and yet part of me thinks Chuck Pagano is going to be fired for the old school reason of well somebody's got to get fired at the end of at the end of a bad season what do you think about all this Right. I mean, that's that's just the way it seems, because you think of all the allocation of resources they use on this defense. And it's just you just automatically just equate that to success, that it's automatically because they spent this money that it's supposed to happen no matter what, no matter the injuries, no matter the circumstances, they have to do it. And I mean, I just don't I don't necessarily think that's the right move. If you don't if you don't have a capable replacement you can't just fire a guy because you don't think that he's good enough you got to know that someone else is better to fill his spot and the, the thing is when he was brought in I wasn't a big fan of the move just because he hadn't been a defensive coordinator since like 2011 it, like he obviously was the head coach with the Colts and did well but he wasn't calling the plays so it just been so long and you've you've seen that he's adapted Fangio's scheme when he came in. He didn't bring his own scheme. He's running his watered-down version of Fangio's scheme because because Fangio obviously had a lot of success here, so that was the right move. And it's just they haven't exactly run it I what I believe is the right way to run it. And that's the, – the thing is, like, while I think – they could do better it's it would be a lot worse to go to some veteran cover three style defense coordinator because that's the exact opposite of the way that the nfl is going right now which i mean yeah it's it's hard for me to know because i haven't watched enough just raw non-bears defensive tape to really understand defensive schemes i would tell you i think offensive schemes are frankly a lot easier to understand than the way that defenses move around because defenses are countering offenses but offenses are pretty obvious a zone read looks like a zone read you can extrapolate from there defenses often are much more subtle in what they're doing so i'll trust your opinion on that but i will tell you that the fact that the bears were able to keep this game as close as it was despite the offense floundering for i I mean, the whole game. 
I, I would love to say that it was like that they, you know, they had it here or this and that. But then I keep remembering, I keep going back to the fact that the Jets for like the Flacco weeks of the season were averaging 20 to 24 points a game. And that just means to me that like, there is some a- or aspect of motion in an NFL offense that's expectable. Like you are supposed to move the ball at some point. And the fact that the bears only had three points for the overwhelming majority of this game. And no, I am not going to take a nine and 10 touchdown drive at the end of the game. Very seriously. The, <laughs> that thing was over. It's, it's tough to watch, but given that position, I thought the defense really was outstanding. Maybe I'm being too, too nice. What do you think? No, I, I, I really, I, they, they surprised me coming into the game. My score prediction was 38 to either 20 or 17. I thought I thought the Saints were going to have their way with the Bears the entire game. I thought they were going to move the ball at will, and that's just not not what happened. I th- I thought they played tremendously in zone coverage. I I really would love to know who's the guy that is coaching up all of these backups. Because the thing is, when when I think of the zone coverage that I want to run against the Saints, I'm thinking of some kind of cover too. And if you're running cover two, you obviously have two deep safeties and then you obviously have at least four rushers. So then you, so then you have it, you have, you have five guys underneath. And when you think of the five guys underneath, at least three of them are going to be Vildor, Shelly and Teo. So three, so, so that's 60% right. of your underneath coverage are backups or guys that are like barely in the league. So you get this kind of performance out of a team that that's exactly what they do. They attack that underneath coverage. And that's a, that's a hell of a performance. You can't ask for more than that. Mm -hmm. Really the only negative that I think we take away from this game, if I could be really candid and you and I have talked about this on Twitter, what we're about to say is entirely speculation, but really the only problem here is that Jalen Johnson missing now his third game in a row with a shoulder injury starts to ask that question of like, okay, so what's going on here? Cause he had three shoulder surgeries in college. And I mean, my goodness, if he needs a, another surgery which god forbid but if he does that's four one in his rookie season and you got to start wondering whether he's going to be one of those ah man what if kinds of players that just never ended up healthy enough to play in the league i i am admittedly getting pretty worried about that so he had i believe two labrum surgeries on his left shoulder and one labrum surgery on his right and so he hurt his right shoulder and from what the twitter doctors were saying they said it looked like he dislocated his right shoulder. And what usually happens when you dislocate your right shoulder is your labrum will tear. And so he's missed now three or four weeks. And without and prior to this game, he had not practiced, which was it is obviously a really bad sign. And I think personally, I think him being in limited in practice this week was just pure gamesmanship because he practiced quote unquote practiced every single day this week, but yet didn't play. You rarely see a guy practice the entire week without playing. At least he would usually miss one of the practices. 
Not to mention, if I'm not mistaken, we've seen Kyle Long go through labrum issues before. And again, if memory serves, when you actually tear it, you can play through it. Like there is a degree of like you get surgery in the offseason, but your season's not over in many circumstances. So we could see, like you're talking about, and the fact that he was able to practice does not mean there's no labrum surgery in the future, maybe. What's what's so tough about that specifically with him is he if I'm if I think I'm correct with this is he wears a shoulder harness on his left shoulder because he's had those two surgeries. So if he was to play with a torn labrum, he would have to wear another shoulder harness on his right shoulder. And I legitimately don't even know if that's possible to play with two harnesses on both shoulders. Oh, man. Hopefully. It's just it's just complete disaster of right. a situation, and I I really hope they get it figured out in the off season. Hopefully things do get figured out in the off season because Johnson's a fun a phenomenal corner. That I will say, if there's one major question I have with Pagano, I don't know why he made him play as much zone as he did, given the success he showed in press early in the year. But we can analyze that another time. For now, Brandon, the sponsors need to get their word in, and you know me, I'm not, I'm beholden to these sponsors. They pay the bills around here, so we'll step aside. We'll be right back after the break to talk about the offense. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm joined by Brandon Robinson as we discuss the end of the Bears season to the New Orleans Saints in the playoffs, which, by the way, makes these Bears in the playoffs the last two out of three years. And I understand that a lot of people are like, ah, this doesn't really count. They got beat by the Saints. They got beat pretty handily. But you know what? Every playoff appearance matters. Every playoff appearance counts. This gives guys like Cole Kmet, even whether you do or don't like him, guys like uh, Mitch Trubisky, guys like Allen Robinson. Yeah, I could have picked younger guys. Uh <laughs> And I should have Guy, guys like Kendall Vildor, Duke Shelley and others, Bilal Nichols, uh, another one, valuable playoff experience that I think they're able to carry with them throughout the rest of their careers, which is great. The trouble here was that the Bears having nine points is almost like a lying number because they had three points for the entire game. And those three points came off of a John Jenkins interception that if they had somehow managed to not end up with three points might have been more impressive. Now, there were a lot of factors to this because Mitch Trubisky threw a dime for a touchdown that did not get caught. That ultimately resulted in no points. Cole Kmet had a, um, let's call it unusual, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, where I got to tell you, Brandon, that seemed like one of those where the only note that I would give to the kid if it was me would be, hey, you can't put yourself in position for a referee to get, uh, to get let's say, I'm trying to think of a, an appropriate way to say it, to get upset. Let's just say that. Uh <laughs> Because it looked to me like Cole knew what he was doing and wasn't attempting to taunt uh, the defender, but referee took it that way. And ultimately what the referee says goes either way, despite some bad breaks, they still didn't do anything. And after having all the offensive explosion that we had for four weeks in a row there, literally first 30.4 week in a row since 1965, I was hoping a little for a little bit more than 16 points against Packers and um, three against the Green Bay or against the New Orleans Saints. 
on turf, no less, which should be a little faster to play on. Uh, am I am I the only one here that's just a little disappointed with the way things played out? No, not at all. Um, I, I thought they had a, de- a decent defensive game plan. I I mean, offensive game plan. I thought they were running basically a lot of the stuff they had had been running. I think one thing that they could have done is they could have checked out of some of the runs that they were doing because uh, quite a few times and few a few too many times they were running into loaded boxes where even if the O-line is blocking as best as they possibly can, you got guys that are going to be unblocked because they have more defenders than you have blockers in the box. So it's, it's basically impossible for you to gain any, any yards. So I thought they could have checked out a lot of those. I don't know if they give Trubisky the freedom to do this at this point. It doesn't really seem like it. it doesn't seem like he's been checking out of any plays recently. And so obviously that's, that's a problem. I think that's where I've gotten so frustrated, Brandon. I said for, I did, I started, I took a lot off of podcasting this last off season because 2019 was hard. Uh, like that season was soul sucking, but I remember coming into the 2020 season thinking whether it's Mitch or Foles or whoever it is, all I want is answers. Like, don't leave me at the end of 2020 still playing chicken or egg. And unfortunately that is exactly what we're doing. <laughs> I can't tell you, Brandon, whether Matt Nagy's game plan, which seemed pretty conservative and to use another word that I know you've used before, kind of cowardly was because Nagy is a coward or because he doesn't believe in Mitch and is correct in doing so. Mitch hit his two deep shots uh, early in the game, but then as the game progressed, he missed a corner out. He had a couple other throws that were kind of like, oh no, he didn't seem to get pressured a ton, which was neat. But after those two deeper passes, which he nailed sort or I'd say he nailed, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt to start the half. They got into that like red zone or 40 yard ish area and they took a set. They then didn't want to throw down the field anymore and everything just, just clobbered back up. I mean, it reminds me, I think a perfect example is at the end of the first half, the bears had a chance to go put some points on the board. They called a run uh, unusual. Okay. But it got six yards. They then call another run. Okay. But Hey, it got two yards set up a third and two. From there, Matt Nagy takes uh, David Montgomery off the field, puts Ryan Nall back on, and calls a triple option. It doesn't look like a triple option because the quarterback just hands it to the back, but or Mitch Trubisky has the option to hand it to Nall, keep it himself, or even bubble out to Anthony Miller, who has Charles Leno in front of him. So about as good of a blocker, I know Bears fans make fun of Leno, but like you get a lineman out there on a bubble screen, you could do a lot worse uh, with that sort of situation. And Trubisky, the runner, or like the quarterback run route, has a blocker, Cole Kmet, out in front of him. Based on my or what I've seen with the play, the edge crashes down a little late. But as soon as Trubisky extends that ball to Null, the edge crashes down. Uh, Trubisky hands it to Null anyways, which he shouldn't do. He should pull the ball, and he would have had the yards, let alone maybe a 20, 30-yard run, had he kept it. And the reaction on Twitter was super, or ex- expectedly polarized, right? It was, you've got to be kidding me, Mitch. You're supposed to keep that. It's clear. Versus Nagy's play calling sucks what a total naggy play call oh ryan null carry on third and two are you kidding me and this is exactly what we were doing for an entire year you know what i mean like arguing about whether it's the quarterback or is it the coach and then you look at this season and i'll finish up on this point like you have this nick Foles set right 
with some absolutely terrible offensive line play. And what, whether you do or don't agree with pro football focus, they had literally every single Nick Foles game graded between a 55 at best, which is bad, or a 33 at worst. And they're like three of those. So Nick Foles had a bad offensive line and he still beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and took this very same Saints team to overtime. So while we did lose to the Titans and while we did lose to the Minnesota Vikings, you almost have to wonder like what, the heck am I supposed to think? Because this game, like chicken or egg, was it Trubisky who had 107 yards before or before garbage time? Or was it Nagy who somehow had his quarterback only get 107 yards before garbage time? I am uh, tired of arguing. <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. Going back to the, the two-minute drill, and this is where it gets a little complicated because it goes – all the way back to the coin toss before the game even starts. The coaches want absolute control of the middle eight. And the middle eight is the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And so that's why a lot of coaches will defer the kickoff to get to get the ball after halftime is because they're guaranteed to get to get the football. So if they have the football at the end of the half, they have full control of the middle eight. And so what it seemed to me was that Nagy was terrified to give the ball back to the Saints and give up, give ruin the middle eight and give up a, a late minute drive, which I would I would be scared to to do that too. You didn't want to you didn't want to give the Saints the ball with a minute left, but you get in s- situations where it, it's do or die like plays pl- situations like that are do or die if you go if you go down and you score a touchdown or kick a field goal now you're in position to take a lead and or maybe even expand upon that but when you just run i i just i really i really don't like that i would call it cowardice i i don't i don't like that i'll, I'll i would rather just sink with the ship because you can't expect the defense to hold up in the second half when you have three backups playing yeah, I agree with you. It's I not realistic. Wholeheartedly. I think the worst part about this, so granted, if I was going to judge Nagy on one thing, and by judge, I mean speak negatively, it's that Nagy seems to actually kind of care what the media says. Like if the media calls for more eye formation, lo and behold, there's more eye <laughs> formation. Like I, there's actually a trend, if you go back and watch, where the media whines about something and it changes. Like the same week that everybody called for Mitch Trubisky, Mitch is in the game game like against green bay this is there's a lot more than just that and if i actually if you actually care you can dm me and i can try to go find some more examples <laughs> just know it happens but one thing that has been kind of funny is that i've seen Nagy get killed for being aggressive at both the end of the half like the detroit game week one where the bears turned it over and the lions got points out of it where he goes for the kill shot against tampa bay that ball ends up incomplete on a pretty decent throw to Allen robinson there are plenty of examples here of matt Nagy being aggressive where it bite him in the butt and in this specific moment I kind of agree with what Romo's saying where Nagy wanted to just see how the clock went it's almost like he wanted to bleed it down to like 50 seconds and then go crazy and you know what if they or if the Saints only have 50 seconds what are they going to do with it but even so 
I'm not saying that's a good plan. It obviously didn't work. It ended up with the Bears killing, effectively taking three knees and killing their own clock so that they could not make it, then take the ball. And then they were able to move the ball a little bit until things stalled out at the 40. I don't know. What frustrates me is that I can't tell whether Mitch Trubisky is the reason that with the Nick Foles game, the Bears were running pin and pull. They were running duo. They were running inside zone. They were running outside zone. They ran crack tosses. They ran sweeps. They ran a lot of weird stuff to try to keep a better Saints defensive line on their toes with Jason Spriggs and Rashad Coward in the game. And then with, uh, I think, a better offensive line, they just they just ran duo and outside zone. And they got destroyed. I mean, like 2.3 yards per carry. I think it's 2.4 if you round up the fact that it's 2.375. And that's going to get you nothing in a, or in a in, in an offensive game plan that has become designed around assuming you succeed with the run at least a little bit to open up play action because whether you or whether analytics thinks that you do or don't need play action or run success to run play action, Nagy does. So you have to care because Matt Nagy cares if you're judging this offense. It's wild to me because again, I don't know whether that has anything to do with the quarterback or anything to do with the offensive line, but the bears basically decided in the run game, which is has nothing to do with Trubisky to just go mano a mano and scrap with a better saints defensive line. And it didn't work. And I could have told you it wouldn't work. And right. Like before you you, you could have said that you could have said that before the game, because the saints have a top three run defense. Yeah. So you, you should know coming into the game that Alex bars and Sam Mustaver aren't going to move these dudes off the spot. Like you, you have to know that they have better Jimmy's and Joe's than you do. So let's try something else. Mm -hmm. And when the bears were able to run it for five yards of pop, it's actually closer to four, but more or less four yards of pop with Rashad coward and Jason Spriggs, you know, that that's a better game plan. And I'm really shocked. The bears didn't at least try something and granted they haven't run almost any varied run schemes with Trubisky in the game at all. I'm talking pre-fulls. I'm talking post-fulls. It has been inside or it's been outside zone, almost no inside zone bears fans. I know they look like an inside zone run call when David Montgomery sees that Alex bars gets blown three yards into the backfield and cuts the run up the field. But just because the run goes inside does not mean it's inside zone. A lot of that's just Montgomery. I think it it's called a bend, right? He's bending it, not banging it or bouncing it. And in the, or he loves to bend those runs, but the bears then tried to use duo to move the saints offensive line. That didn't work either as they weren't able to duo is basically just a bunch of double teams and that didn't work. And I, I just found myself, Brandon, a little unenthusiastic about it. And of course, the easy thing to do in that moment is to reach and say, if only we had a better quarterback, but there's an aspect of that that almost doesn't feel fair either, you know? Yeah, I, 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 well, I think it is partly with the quarterback just because they weren't checking out of runs. Like there were, there were so many situations where it's second and 10. I can see that there's eight defenders in the box. I can tell you from my couch that they're not going to get yards and they still run the football. And mm-hmm. that that's a, that's a problem. Like you, it's, it's the playoffs. It's not, you're not playing the Jags. You're not playing the Vikings. You're not playing any of these really bad teams. You have to be able to check out of these runs and do something else. And when you can't do that, that's, that's a huge problem because it, it basically, it hands and handcuffs your team. 
And the worst part is, Brandon, is that there were only I actually saw them check out a couple plays a few times. And I'm talking like motion at the line of scrimmage. But guess what? Literally all of them were before the 15 second mark, which has me wondering, is the quarterback doing it or does he hear in his headset? Hey, hey, change it to this. You got to you got to change the play. You doing this now. Like at what point? are I, I don't know how this offense is functioning we can't right there's no way for us to be in the huddle we can't hear the play call we don't know the chain of command we literally don't even know if lasers still calling the plays like <laughs> there's so much we don't know about this all we know is that it isn't working and if it's me right I there is something Tony Romo said that resonated with me now granted I will make it a abundantly clear that I have a bias towards liking Matt Nagy. I think a lot of what he's done schematically has been a lot better than what other people think. I think a lot of his issues have come down to execution, which I crushed him for, for that six game winning streak. Because at some point when you're not able to line up, there's obvious problems. Like there's clear reasons that Kyle Long doesn't like the guy, but at the same time, he somehow managed to rally his team into the playoffs. And you may say, oh, eight and eight, that's not impressive at all. But after a six game soul rending winning, streak that team or a lot of teams fold the Texans certainly folded Mm -hmm. as soon as they were mathematically eliminated and went from looking really good against the uh, Lions to getting devastated by us the Bears and never picking themselves up and now Deshaun Watson wants out of the organization like what, what the Bears did pulling themselves together and beating a bunch of bad teams but thumping them and taking it to a divisional rival in the Vikings to end up making the playoffs it shouldn't be just thrown out it doesn't have to get five-star rating from your opinion, but it, it isn't the mark of a terrible coach. I think that's fair to say. At the same time, the offense has left a lot to be desired for three whole years. Like, there's a lot to this. Where I have ended up landing, just to make an argument shorter, is that Matt Nagy has two more years on his contract. And if it was me, I'd do the whole promote pace thing, bring in another GM. If that GM wants his own coach, sure. But if you want to ride out one more year on Nagy's contract so that McCaskies don't have to pay two coaches for two years, I'm not upset about it. Does that make sense? So you you think they're going to promote pace or you would promote pace? Because those are, two, those, are, those are two different things. I do think pace stays in the building. I really do. I mean, I get the impression they love Ryan Pace. He led this renovation of Hallis Hall that's gotten a lot of acclaim over the last couple or like over the last year or so. It would shock me if he was fired but i understand if ted phillips is going to retire they're going to want somebody to take his place and while i I don't know if ryan pace is the name that i would pick for a team president it would make a lot of sense and it would technically change gm even though the same guys in the building running or like technically presiding over the ship because my my issue is you get into the chain of command type situations where it's it's pace and then it's the gm and then it's naggy and you get in pace has made a bunch of moves that you can tell that he went and got quote unquote his guy no matter what and so i i don't i just don't want to be in the position where pace needs his guy but the gm doesn't want to overpay him but pace overrules him and goes and gets his guy you mean like a backseat gm kind of thing like a right i know i'm the president but i was gm for six years kind of situation right right right. that like we we don't do that here we we get our guys (laughs) we get our guys here 
I, right. I just, I really don't want to see that situation. But for Matt Nagy, I, I, I think he, I think he's learned from some of his mistakes. And I, I think so. that I, it, 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 the thing is, I, I say maybe just because I'm not in the building, but it, it, I, if I had to put my money on, I would say that he has, cause it just, it seems, it seems like he has evolved as a coach as he's went on, because I feel like he, he just had no idea about certain things and he's slowly like the aggression thing, but yeah, I don't think he, he made the call when it came to the two minute warning. But when you, when you think about his fourth down, fourth down situations, he's gone for it in astronomically a lot more than, than he has before. Like he, he never used to go for it on fourth down and he's completely changed the script on that. Mm-hmm. So I, I would, I, I would be fine if they moved on, but I would also be fine if they kept him. Like, yeah. because, because the thing is, as I was saying with Chuck Piano, just because they fire Matt Nagy does not mean they're going to make the right decision with the next coach. Right. I am like you're talking about deeply, I think the word is ambivalent, but I'll go with apathetic about Matt Nagy's firing or not, because I really have seen like this isn't so Mitch Trubisky is the kind of quarterback that over his career, if I could just speak candidly, he doesn't tend to do a lot of good things and he tends to avoid a lot of bad things. The best thing you could say about him is that he's a uh, very frenetic Kyle Orton. The worst thing you could say about him is that he doesn't do anything well, but that he tends not to do anything like really badly either besides reading the field, which you can mask with the right systems and the bears have tried to. Uh, When it comes to Matt Nagy, I see a lot of really good. The players seem to play for him in literally any circumstance. And then I've seen a whole lot of awful like really really bad like how Foles couldn't seem to get the team lined up for weeks and that has never happened in Foles's tenure so I don't know what was going on there or the fact that we spent almost a year and a half with 10 guys doing one thing and one guy doing another that has made it to where like you're talking about what I would turn myself to is I'm going to say a dangerous word here Brandon hope because the one thing that you can say about Matt Nagy that you can't say about Kyle Shanahan is that Matt Nagy actually has realistic room to grow in his role as a head coach, which somebody might say, what are you talking about? How could Kyle Shanahan not grow? And I'd look back at you and I'd say, Kyle Shanahan was an offensive coordinator for 10 years. And as I understand coaches, most of the time when they learn a lesson and then relearn it and cement it and really just hammer that lesson home, that's how they do it. And there's no real changing it. In the words of uh, a couple coaches I've heard, I really only know one way to coach. And that's the way guys like John Fox and Jeff Fisher have had their day and then lost their day and are now out of the league. Uh <laughs> How that relates to Matt Nagy, though, is that Matt Nagy was only offensive coordinator for a single year. I actually think like you're talking about, there's a lot of room to say he doesn't know everything, that he doesn't have every situation ironed out. And as it seems that his team continues to play for him, I'm willing to say that, you know what, if they did keep him on for a year, I'll keep grading him as fairly as I can and we'll see where this goes. I'm not trying to wave my pom-poms for him. I just don't want him out of the building as badly as a lot of Bears fans do because I don't think that I, I understand we lost Darnell Mooney and I think Darnell Mooney's awesome too, but execution still should have been better than this and execution needed to be better partially
especially because the talent needs to be better. It's, it's again, we're back to the chicken and the egg thing where Matt Nagy makes a lot of mistakes, but a lot of those mistakes make sense from a, per, or from a frame of mind of the talent isn't good enough to throw intermediate routes. For instance, the talent isn't good enough to hold off the Saints defensive line for four and a half seconds to set up a downfield passing play. Like you need a ton of wildcat action and, and then you used it. Uh, there's there's a whole lot of give and wiggle room and complication that I'd look at and I'd say I'm not going to mind if we end up getting a fourth year of data with when it comes to Matt Nagy. Yeah, I think I think it's a really tough situation, and I think they have to fully evaluate everything that's happened over these three years before they before they make a decision. And, and it's funny that you brought up. The uh, I only know one way to coach because I have coached or been around coaches that have that same frame of mind. I like so many times, and that is the exact worst kind of coach that you could possibly want. And I know, and I know for a fact, if I know anything about Matt Aggie, I know for a fact he is not one of those coaches because he completely changed his offense coming into this year. Like before this, the 2018-2019, they're completely spread coast. Coming in this year, they're running basically Sean McVay's offense. They're running under center, uh, outside zone, play action. Nothing absolutely exact opposite of what the retreat and what Andy Reid has ever run. Mm -hmm. And it's the sort of thing that, again, gives me hope because while it worked sort of, uh, and didn't work also sort of it's it's one of <laughs> right it, it's it's complicated because it's like did it work well we beat tampa bay and we took new orleans to overtime but also it didn't because we got thumped by a lot of teams and looked like we didn't know what we were doing like we looked like a team that had been put in cryo sleep through cr- training camp got woken up and said hey you're playing the rams today get at them guys and- but i'll ask you this how many offenses do you see like or coaches that coach really bad quarterbacks on a consistent basis that win right like how, I mean, how many like even, I, I, can, I honestly i can't think of one it's people it's would so say funny. oh jer jer goff like no no absolutely not trubisky is not jerry goff and he he's definitely not kirk cousins kirk cousins is way better than him and that those are the first i know that's the first two people that a majority of bears fans would think of but even using golf as an example sean mcveigh has had some awful awful losses with right. golf under center that if we just changed the coach so sean mcveigh is a bear now and matt Nagy has had the exact same career i think a lot of people would be saying the same thing if we had had some of those losses jared goff those five interceptions none of them are his fault dad gummit i like my guy but all jokes aside the point being that sean mcveigh has had his moments where he looks flat out out coach too and in mm. chicago we act like matt Nagy out coaching bruce arians matt Nagy potentially out coaching sean payton because i don't think nick Foles. Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson, and the rest of that offense should have been in a tie game with that or with that Saints team in any capacity. Like we act like some of these victories don't stack up when compared to getting out coached by Mike Vrabel uh, when Alex Bars is playing his first game ever at center in a real NFL game. Like there's there's a whole bunch of factors to all this, and it's just not that simple. You know what I mean? Like Lovey Smith went to a Super Bowl off the back of a legendary defense, had a terrible offense, took the praise and the fall for both. 
because that's what it means to be a head coach. And like you're talking about, most of the teams that are winning here, like you can take a look at the playoffs, most of them have a capable quarterback in some capacity. And if they don't, I'll just use the Browns because I know a lot of people are up, but a lot of people are down on Baker, have the best running game in football, with which you can underline and put in all caps because it's the best one. It's like it's a very weird gambit when you look at Nagy and his offense and you say, I expect better out of a team that can't consistently run the ball against not bottom tier opponents and has a quarterback that tends to struggle in a lot of facets of the game. I expect that offense to be at least average. And you're like, well, you just listed the case for why it should be terrible. And it is like from a talent perspective. And the, the thing is, when you bring in a new offense, that offense has to slowly evolve as time goes. Like You can't expect that Matt Nagy to bring in an entire new offense, which he did this offseason, and it, just expect it to just suddenly blossom. I always think back to the Packers last year, because last year they had a lot of success. But if you remember correctly, it was on the backs of their defense. Their defense was dominant last year. They were making so many plays off of their pass rush, but their offense wasn't very good. They were obviously because they were trying to replace Aaron Rodgers. But now they didn't bring in too many people on offense, but they have evolved because of time. They got they got more time during the offseason. They got more practice time. They were slowly able to evolve as time went on. And you said it, and I hate that you said this, by the way, but I'll repeat it anyways, because it's a smart thought. If the Bears iterate on this Nagy Vay offense, like a blend of Nagy concepts and Sean McVay attitude, it will be an easier offense to integrate a new quarterback into, which is not normal, because normally your quarterback kind of is the centerpiece of the offense. Like moving on, or if you subbed out Jordan Love uh, or subbed in Jordan Love and out Aaron Rodgers, the offense would probably have to roll back to year one just because Love only knows one year of the offense. Well, with what the Bears are doing, they can build a lot around a question mark quarterback and fill in that question mark down the road and I said I hate it because I love the Nagy spread or not Nagy the read the read spread coast but we'll have to put that on pause because like you're talking about that takes years of foundation and ideally a quarterback that comes in equipped to run it and the Bears are going to be they're going to have to get creative at the quarterback position especially if they I will like I'll give this to Bears fans especially if they want somebody that is obviously better than Mitchell Trubisky because as much as we could look at the Taylor Heineke's of the world and say hey look at that that guy can make a throw over a linebacker into an NFL window where's that been for years as much as I can say that if you put Taylor Heineke in the starting role I have a feeling he'd end the season looking more like Trevor Simeon than uh say he did in the playoffs it's not hard or it's a lot less hard to pop off in one unscouted game than it is to do so over 16 games where a defense has tape that said, we can get to the quarterback conversation later. I'm sure we have plenty of time to let that rage on. What are your final thoughts about this Saints game? Uh, final thoughts is I'm just not not really surprised with the outcome. I can't say enough of how impressed I was with Tayshawn Gibson, Gibson's performance. I thought he played absolutely out of his mind. I thought he, he probably had the best performance on the entire team. Um, I, I hope they can, I know they, the, these last two games were kind of brutal, but I hope they can move on with the successes they had and roll it into next season and hopefully have a better year next year. I'll play the opposite card. 
I so I am happy the Bears could be here. I'm even happier that they're not getting blown out. For Bears fans reference, the Steelers are losing zero to twenty-eight, and I don't think they're out of the first half yet. So that wasn't us. And as much as we would say <laughs> the Bears got destroyed, it's like, well, actually, for a seven seed, they really didn't look all that bad against the Saints. I really don't think they did. Offense inept, sure. But the defense looked spicy, and I think it held up the Chicago namesake. At least I think so. What yeah, if I'm, you think if you think about last year how this would have went the bears would not have been in the playoffs and the saints would have had a bye mm-hmm. like yep. the, the, that's those are the two teams that were playing tonight 100 like this shouldn't it shouldn't have been this close this should have been a blowout but it wasn't what i will say brandon is that i hope if i have a hope for this year i have a or i really hope that this makes the bears hungry, starving, just drooling at the mouth to fix the offense. Cause in this last year, I saw a Ryan pace uh, on like led an effort to keep or keep the defense healthy and try to make the offense decent. We saw Jermaine Ifedi brought in as the solution at offensive line. Rashad coward is the sixth man, Nick Foles as the quarterback too. And that, that was kind of it for the changes. We drafted Cole Met, who was always a two year project at best. You don't want to call him a bust. I don't either, actually, uh, but I know some do. Even so, we knew he wasn't going to do anything as a rookie. Then we brought in Jimmy Graham, who might as well be a graduated rookie, caught a ton of touchdowns, had a sick final catch. Like, that at the end of the season, that was awesome. But, was. but either way, I look at this offense, I think it needs more help on the offensive line. I think it needs a stronger quarterback one way or another, or even just take a chance. We can get into that in a little while. Cole Kmet needs to grow. Wouldn't mind help at wide receiver, but really it's that like offensive line infusion. I want to see Chicago aggressively attack making this offense better, even if it means a defense that embarrasses itself in 2021. I am done trying to let defense win football games because at seven to three, I just sat there wanting to pull my eyes out of my head, wondering why the offense couldn't do anything. We'll get, or like, we'll see what the bears actually do. But I hope, especially if Matt Nagy sticks around, that this makes them so hungry for offensive success that they find something to bite at and try to squeeze their way into that top 12 in 2021. That's at least what I'd love to see. I'm, I'm here for it too. Any, any improvement, especially on offense, because offense wins games. It like, it used to be offense was just for entertainment, but now it's proven offense wins games, offense wins leagues, offense moves the needle. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, and you know what? I will be willing, you can keep this as a receipt. When we see the Packers square off against the Chiefs in the bowl, then you can let me know because, and they are, they are, they are in different conferences, right? Yes. Yes, they are. Thank goodness. Cause I, I'm so bad with conferences, Bears fans. I, I am despicably bad separating the AFC and the NFC, but when the Packers and the chiefs square off two of the most high powered offenses in the league, you'll see it's these points nowadays that are winning football games. Defensive defense wins championships is a bit of an old adage. And it's fun to say if you're a Chicago fan, but I just don't know if it's true anymore. Anyways, either way, Brandon, thanks so much for coming on, helping digest this game with me. Where can folks find you? Thanks for having me. They can find me at BRobNFL on Twitter. I'm excited excited for the offseason. I'll be getting into uh, NFL draft and field draft prospects, and I'm excited for that. I'm going to keep bothering you until you write coverage pieces for us because <laughs> we, we can use the help. 
Well, hopefully I can after I get done with this move. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brandon. I will talk to you soon. Talk to you then. And Bears fans, that's going to wrap this one up. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz or on YouTube at Run Pass Opinion, where no doubt I'll be going through more offseason content as I look to break down the 2020 Bears, specifically looking at Allen Robinson right now, does and doesn't he deserve an extension, and then getting on to other topics. Make sure you follow Brandon. Please give this podcast a rating if you would be so kind on whatever service you're listening to, positive or negative any feedback helps and Bears fans while the season may be over the new 2021 season has only just begun so until next time bear down and thanks so much for bearing with me